Hello and welcome to the Hayquill London podcast, Tea and Cake. Each episode, we'll put on a brew and have a natter with the fabulous people doing fabulous things for and about the queer community. In these uncertain times, community is more important than ever. And we want to celebrate the brilliant people keeping our community going. On this episode, we cross the virtual pond to New York City and chat to our favourite expat DJ, pop aficionado and singer-songwriter Rod Thomas, aka Bright Light, Bright Light. Rod, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, thanks. Thanks for joining us. What time is it there? Three in the afternoon, is it? Right about 3 now? 3 p.m., yes. Right, uh, right about time for another pot of coffee for me. <laughs> <laughs> podcast, I was just having this conversation with my flatmate, who I'm having a lot of conversations with at the moment, and uh, he said not to drink coffee. He's like, I can't drink coffee past 11 a.m. because I can't sleep. I've never been a believer of that. Are you like that though? Are you like? Do you find that you have to like no caffeine? You have to be strict with that because I I've never I found it an issue. I mean, I'm on my third part, fourth part of the day. I You're ready to know. keep going. I don't even know what time or day it is anymore. Kate <laughs> <laughs> Blanchett from a fabulous interview she did on TV the other day really doesn't matter. No, yeah, nothing matters anymore. It's all blending into one. Um, talking about like lockdown and going mad. How how have you been surviving it? What have you been doing? Have you been working on music i mean we know you've been doing your live streams and your shows but has there been anything Um, in particular i mean i've been kind of lucky in a way that um i had so much work lined up already before it happened you know with like the release schedule and everything kind of building up to the album that i've had quite a lot to do um and quite a lot to keep me occupied which has been very um fortuitous let's say um so I've been busy doing that, like behind the scenes kind of stuff, and then doing my live stream DJing every Saturday and Sunday, which has been really nice and like a, a good way to connect with people and sort of, you know, forget uh, the gravity of the situation for a couple of hours each weekend. It's been it's been lovely. Um, otherwise, you know, doing the same as everyone else is doing, like trying to exercise at home and trying to do some things to enjoy myself in the day, like watching films or playing games or reading or you know doing whatever um i don't really know time is gone i can't believe (laughs) i can't believe that um it's already three o'clock but it's still april the time means nothing to me anymore Mm. i don't understand i know it's crazy i was saying to my husband earlier today i was like i can't believe it's may this weekend it's may on friday it's just it's it's insane (laughs) it's insane pretty, pretty strange yeah you're also well known for as well as your music side you've been doing you've started the very famous night of the Romeo Michelle's afternoon tea party mm-hmm. uh, which has of course gone gone virtual and 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 usually is in place at uh, club cummings um how did that night start where how did it start for you it started um quite a long time ago actually um one of my friends owns a bar in brooklyn uh mm-hmm. called come on everybody and I'd always wanted to do some kind of daytime party and there's quite a lot of them in New York, which is very different from any other city really that I've lived. Um, You know, they don't happen in London really. They're not really traditional. Um, So I thought about doing it on a Saturday because most of the ones here that take place, they're on a Sunday. Um, And I just sort of mentioned to Eric one day that I'd like to do it. And he thought it was a really fun idea. And it, you know, started off small and then just kind of grew and then, I got to know Alan Cumming and obviously he's in the Romy Michelle party. Hmm. Uh, sorry, he's in the Romy Michelle movie. Um, of course. <laughs> I would do it at his venue as well. And for a while I was doing like one week in Brooklyn and one week in Manhattan. And I ended up uh, doing a residency just in Manhattan. And I was doing that every week then for the last uh, year and a bit, which has been amazing. 
Oh, wow. What's it been like to take it online? It's actually been, I would say, very uplifting in a way. Because, like, you know, I've been pretty alone throughout this whole experience. And I think a lot of other people have as well. Um, And being able to do it online has meant that it's reached an audience that it wouldn't normally do from just being in the same physical location. And it's been really lovely to see Mm. the people that I've seen following my career uh, over the last couple of years, tuning in and getting to see a very different side of what I do to what they normally see with just like the live performances. Um, a lot of people from like my past, like my school years or whatever, have come out of the woodwork, which has been lovely. <laughs> um, I've been watching the live stream and watching you sort of make comments about songs that your friends has played on a school bus or something, or someone yeah. who you haven't spoken to for years, giving you a suggestion. Yeah, it's, been, it's been really fun. So I've actually very much enjoyed doing it. And a lot of people have asked if I can keep doing it um, online once venues have opened up. And I think I've found a way where I can do that. Um, oh, cool. You know, it's been cool. And, uh it's been it's been really fun at a time where not very much else has been particularly fun so i've i've been very appreciative of uh the life outside of these four walls that um <laughs> that this party has given me online it's been it's been really uplifting well it's kind of kind of similar isn't it, to one of the sort of positives that people have been taking away from quarantine and lockdown and everything is this ability to reconnect on certain levels, whether it's with your family or with your friends that you share a space with, but also with people that, you know, fans of yours, as you say, old school friends who haven't had a chance or maybe would never get a chance to come and see your event actually in New York. They're now getting to sit down, take the time to discover it and, and discover something new, which is, which is really nice because we've spoken to quite a few people now that have been doing live shows or live versions of what uh, virtual versions of what they do live and um everyone sort of said the same thing that it's been it's been a way to reach out to people in a very kind of unforceful way you know it's, you, there's not a, a huge amount of aggressive marketing that has to go into it you're just kind of putting it out there and then people are like oh i've got the time to do this now i've got the time to check it out yeah so it's been nice it has been nice the the one thing that i've really struggled with is how exhausting facebook is <laughs> um, it really like I don't even have enough expletives in my vocabulary for it just like the the annoying thing is like I have my biggest following on Facebook is like 50,000 plus people that follow me so mm. connecting to a, a Facebook live stream is so easy and such an easy way for people to see that the party's happening yeah and to join in and to have the comment system but it kicks me off every 30 minutes I'm very far from the only person that's complained about this as well you know copyright issues mean that when songs are played from a major label they automatically get flagged and then it mutes the audio it kicks me off every 30 minutes um so you end up trying to like restart the event over and over and over so i'm simultaneously broadcasting that to twitch never one problem nothing at all mm-hmm. but i have 145 followers on twitch it's yeah a new platform for me and i just can't believe that in the midst of everything going on that whoever's responsible for these copyright claims and the bots and everything, I can't believe that they haven't addressed the fact that people are trying to give their catalog a platform in the COVID yeah. catastrophe. You know, I just, I'm so exhausted by it and I just, Oh my God, I hate them all so much. I hate Facebook so much. <laughs> well, I saw, <laughs> I saw your post about that um maybe a week or two ago and and i was just interested to know what kind of traction you got because you'd think people should be making a bigger noise about it you know it should gain traction but it seems to not i mean i know obviously at the moment there's a lot bigger headlines but it is something that people absolutely need and require at the moment which is entertainment and to sort of cut that off of the knees is bizarre 
it's it's really it's just exhausting i'm just so tired by it all like um i think the problem is everyone is individually complaining but there's no like unified um yeah person voice about it. it all you know sophia Spector, for example like her own songs were muted when she was doing live performances <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy exhausting. i could literally die like i can't <laughs> i can't live I, I can't cope with that i can't the thing is like I, i'm being very very melodramatic obviously i'm welsh i'm gay um, but, like, <laughs> you go ahead it's the podcast for the, it people don't understand that it's not your fault that these things are going wrong no. online you know so people are like the sound's messed up the sound's messed up the sound's messed up and you're like i know the sound is messed up and there's nothing I can do about it. And it's mm -hmm. just so, it's really depressing to have these audio issues that are, should be very avoidable in a time where people's spirits are already quite fragile and you're literally trying to do something for people to enjoy online. And the one system in place which should be facilitating that with ease, given modern technology is absolutely hindering what you're trying to do not even for your own benefit. And I just find it absolutely excruciating that this platform with such a monopoly of people's time, audience and accessibility has not addressed something that is really just so exhausting. Mm. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say that word a million times this like <laughs> lockdown period. I am so exhausted by Facebook. But also like when they're cutting off people, from you know for copyright issues or whatever which is obviously automated there's some kind of automated system in yeah, place yeah. why are they doing it because they're not making money anywhere else no i mean i understand right like i understand that you're not i'm a, I'm a musician i'm a published mm. musician so i understand the, the reason for copyright claims and i understand that you can't upload somebody else's work as your own and monetize it yeah but of on course facebook live it, i don't believe that it's monetizable even. no but you're also playing the music right you're not uploading it you're playing it but with if you do it at lossless quality through direct input then it is the same as there's an issue yeah so there's uh, i don't know it's just a, it's a very frustrating blip in this technology which exists to seamlessly do what you do live you know there's like prs licenses which are in place for different venues so i understand that and i understand yeah. The logic of it but i just feel like in this exceptional situation there should be exceptions to a rule when it's very clear that copyright breach is not intended yeah in mm -hmm. this instance you know yeah like that's that's my annoyance with it all yeah it's like a blanket decision yeah it has been great to watch you on twitch like when we, me and my husband have been watching it a couple of saturdays oh, and it's been really you. fascinating to watch it and and see it's, it seems like a lot of fun you know, they're brought, it's the same stream that goes to both platforms via like a restreaming site. Yeah. And it's just so frustrating that the Facebook thing just, I have to start it eight times in the space of starting one Twitch. And it's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's exhausting. Yeah. That's mad. That's crazy. <laughs> Could be worse. <laughs> yeah, it could be worse. Um, so we want to ask you well as well, Rod, how long is it now that you've been in New York? How long have you been living in and working in New York? Uh, I celebrated my seventh year anniversary on the 1st of March. Is it really seven years? Congratulations. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, because, you know, obviously we know each other from London and, and I saw you yeah. DJ and perform around around London there. But, I mean, you've been, you're now sort of settled in, in, in New York and, and working there uh, predominantly. What would you say are the differences that you've noticed, the sort of significant, just even if they're like a subtle little thing, uh, between the New York scene 
and the scene you were working on or you were around in London? Um, yeah, so I, for me, the difference has been that the music scene in terms of like collaboration and live and um, and recording has been much more supportive in New York than it ever was in London for me. I felt like in London, everybody was seen as a competitor, whereas in New York, people are seen as a contemporary. Um, and that's a really big difference when you're an independent and when you work primarily by yourself. Um, I didn't feel like that music industry in London was very supportive or very keen to see me flourish. Um, whereas over here, I think because it is such an expensive place, you know, which London is as well, um, that people really reward people when they can see them working hard and playing hard. Like there's such a nice community around watching people succeed. Um, and it's really, really lovely. It's really cool to see people just like talking about their friends doing work with no benefit to themselves. Um, mm -hmm which I, I never really experienced that in London. I really did not enjoy living in London as a independent creative. I thought it was so lonely um, and I've it's been very different over here. That's not to say that there aren't great people in London. That, like, I'm, you know, you, I met you, Matt, through music and there are mm. so many amazing people. It's just like the temperature in general in London was not let's help people do well. It was like, oh, I kind of hope they fail. Yeah. You know? Which yeah, I just I, it made me feel so depressed. Do you know, it's funny. Um, I, I don't think you're the only per you're not the only person, the only artist that I've spoken to that feels that way, so, and, and especially independent artists in London, because it's there's such a there's such a gap between the labels and and the people that work in those labels and the people that are supporting those artists that kind of bleed into, say, it's an LGBT artist. They also sort of take over the scene in some ways and control that, so that there isn't always enough room to discover new artists. And I think. One of the things that strikes me, I guess, about New York that's slightly different is that there is the ability maybe to have more artists and musicians and performers perform live and perform their music in, in New York, whereas in London, on the LGBT scene, we don't have that. The glory mm. is too small a venue, really, to do like a proper, say, a show at your level. You'd need a you know a decent-sized venue. And now, I mean, there's there used to be like Hoxton Bar and Grill would have the odd night or something like that, but nothing sustainable where an artist could grow a a fan base but also their skill set yeah I, I feel like new york kind of has like one up on london it not by not in terms of like being better but a lot of the venues that have um been those platforms have closed in london and they haven't in new york mm -hmm. um at the same rate and so i really do feel for london in a way in terms of like all of the, those, you know, gay bars on that strip, like Hock, uh, Hackney Road, when yeah. they all went, that was like a huge blow to the LGBTQ community. Um, and almost all of the gay bars in the East Village are still open from like God knows how long ago, which is such a huge difference when you just look at the landscape on like Google Maps, when you type in gay bar, queer space, LGBTQ friendly business or whatever, just seeing that like gap in East London, which used to be so you know, such an easy hop between the venues for everybody. Well, you used to be right in the heart of it, didn't you? I mean, I used to see, I used to run into you at the Nelson's Head or Georgian yeah. Dragon or the Joiners, RIP, my favourite. Mm -hmm. Still, is I've just got so much nostalgia for that place. I mean, as grubby yeah. and as packed and as crazy as it used to get, it was six days a week, maybe seven days a week, actually, it was. And it was always fun and there was always a good crowd and there was never really any hassle. 
really. Yeah. Um, so we missed that that one massively, I think. Yeah, it's it's a shame. So I do feel very fortunate that at least in New York, well, I mean, God knows what will happen after the closures now, but up to March or whatever, whenever it was, March the 17th or March the 20th, there were all of these spaces still open and still available to us all um, that gave everybody so many different options for performance, you know? And what I've noticed as another big difference here versus London is that the scenes cross-pollinate a lot more. So there's not like a cabaret scene, a pop scene, a rock scene, an indie scene. People are sort of encouraged to shapeshift between them and that's mm. fine. Whereas I feel like in London, you know, a lot of venues, like you wouldn't see somebody performing cabaret in Hoxton Bar and Kitchen primarily. Yeah. And you wouldn't see somebody doing a pop show in like the joiner's arms. Um, but you can, people are a little bit more fluid about where they choose to perform different, like um, different genres of music or comedy or whatever. Um, and I think the people here really love that. Whereas in other cities that's seen as confusing. Yeah. Um, you have I to stay like, in your lane. Like, yeah, I think like taking away that confusion or that like premeditated idea of what you can see in one space has meant that people have stumbled across artists that they maybe wouldn't have seen before. Yeah. Um, and that's been really lovely. You know, that's just been a nice benefit to the live performance scene here being a little bit less um, pigeon, not pigeonholed. I don't mean it in a bad way of London. Like, I don't think. No, I know what you mean. It's like it's promoters sticking uh, to a winning formula, isn't it? It's like we know that this will bring people in or this is what the the crowd are used to. I mean, it's interesting you say, because I I recently, well, not recently, maybe October last year, uh, Christine, who you probably obviously know of, you know, performance artist in yeah. Brooklyn, had been over, done the Royal Variety, sh- um, Royal Variety show. First time I'd seen her perform. And then I took a friend of mine who had never heard of her or come across her on L- in London at all. Despite the fact she'd done numerous shows, mm-hmm. I took him to see her at the ICA. And he was like, I never want to miss this show again. How did I, how did I not know about this person? And I said, because we're not told about it, you know? Yeah. And that's a shame. And I think in New York, like you say, even just from following certain artists on Instagram and even seeing your feed and stuff, you can see that cross-pollination. You can see people know each other, even if it's from just being on the same bill. And sometimes you do think, oh, I wouldn't have put these two artists together on the same night, but Mm. that means that you're getting a load of variety, which can't be, I don't think, a bad thing. Yeah, I think like a lot of people in London are working really hard at doing just that. But I feel like a lot of just from like how historically venues have run, I think a lot of people still have like an ingrained perception of what they think they're going to see when they go to a venue. Like you would expect to see Christine at like Bethlehem Green Worker Men's Club or mm. something or the yeah. ICA on like a higher end thing, but you wouldn't maybe think about seeing her at like Hoxton Bar and Kitchen or like, um, I don't know, like I can't think of any venues in London that I know anymore. Well, anymore. do you know what? Like, I'd like to see her at any venue, any venue where yeah. oh, she does her, amazing. you know, her yeah. balloon trick, um, or so. the Barbican. <laughs> she did. She did the entire rendition of Sinead O'Connor's um, 
the Lion and the Cobra album mm-hmm. with John Grant and Peaches at the Barbican. And it was too, I mean, I was there, there was like 2000 people. It was mm-hmm. a near religious experience. And you kind of just want to say to people like, Oh, come and see this, come and see this. But mm-hmm. you know, again, it's about people, people can be a bit closed off to discovering new things as well. And, you know, you know, yourself as an independent artist, there's something a little, that can be a little bit demoralizing about trying to kind of sell yourself to people all the time. You know, when you're at a particular level, you're like, just, just, you know, you want people to find it organically, but we live in a world where everything is marketed. So it's quite difficult. Yeah. Also, like as a disclaimer, like a lot of my experience from London music scene or whatever, I haven't lived in London for seven years. So like, I'm aware that things have changed and different people have started doing things. Like I'm not anti-London in any no, way. No, no, of course. Saying, like, you know, no, but for listeners, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying like my experience up to the point of leaving New York was leaving London for New York was really different to how, London has shifted in those years since. And I do enjoy going back now and seeing the different night nightclubs or like bars or whatever that are in place to provide platforms. Um, but up to the point where I was living there, that was my accurate experience, you know? Yeah, of that, course. And I know it's different now. And I think it's been fascinating to see, in the, especially in the last in the last sort of two or three years, um, other venues take on queer performances in a in a very unique and different way. So I think the thing that I've enjoyed the last couple of years is that the National Theatre has got the outdoor stage in the summer, and the Pride Weekend was taken over by the by the team at the Glory, who did their whole normal shows, but with a whole different group of people on the South Bank. So watching a family watch a huge drag act who is doing this phenomenal cabaret thing was it was seeing things like that have been fascinating it's been yeah. it's been amazing to watch but I, I i do see what you mean because i think the london scene especially as you said it has categories of of venues and when those venues close there's nothing really to replace it it's very much like that section sort of disappears so when other big nights or big venues close like your the scene reduces rather than diversifying as much i think especially in london mm um we want to talk speaking of music we've got to talk about your latest single which came out two weeks ago now is it this is this was my house um an absolute yeah is it a month we've been in quarantine for such a long time in fact i heard uh yesterday that the work on one of the underground lines in new york was finished and i was like how long have we been in quarantine for <laughs> that was meant to take 18 months like, it's been two years on? oh i didn't realize it was a month because i feel like oh, yeah, I was... oh my god well because look this this track this was my house it's the first single from the new album isn't it it's coming out in september is that right yes yeah that's correct an absolute disco banger of the highest order uh i think i messaged you when i heard it the first time it was just like this is incredible not only is it a great song and the production on it is amazing, your vocals amazing, it's the fact that you've managed to recruit Madonna's two legendary backing vocalists, uh, Donna DeLoria and Nikki Harris, to feature on the track. How did that happen? I, I've been in touch with uh, this guy, Bill, who works with Nikki a couple of years before that, um, who was asking about maybe it would be fun to do something together. I think he was a fan. Um, and we were trying to work out what could you know, what could be fun for both, like how it would work, what would be appropriate, what would make sense. Um, And I couldn't really think of anything for a while. And then when I wrote this song and sent it to Initial Talk to do the production and he sent that back, I was like, ah, it's so much in the like Shep Pettibone Madonna era (laughs) production vein that maybe this is the one. So then I sent it to Bill, um, who was like, oh, this is great. So then he sent it to Nikki and Donna and then Donna emailed me 
Um, we were emailing back and forth, sent her like, you know, the finished version of the song. Um, and they really liked it. So thank God. Uh, yeah, they did. but it, you know, it's so kind of um, typical of, of, of the work that you do where there's like, there's always like little nods of, of pop culture references and, and things that you love, but this is actually in human form. Now you've <laughs> actually got these two part of it. And I think, as you say, it does sound like early Madonna. Um, also sounds like Sylvester. It sounds like the kind of late seventies, early eighties disco that New York obviously was renowned for. Um, so it's lovely to sort of have those nods in it. Um, is the whole album going to be of a similar sound? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, it's the, well, the album is like celebrating LGBTQ plus culture. So it's very influenced by, you know, Chef Pettibone, like, um, Sylvester, Hercules Love Affair, Scissor Sisters, Bronski B, Erasure. Um, a lot of my favorite queer artists and production sounds. So I, I basically have made like a, a modern, like quote unquote disco um queer record not like disco the music genre per se but the idea of being on a dance floor yeah um and mm. like dancing through struggle and ad- adversity um mm. and so there's a lot of like upbeat numbers like the one that comes out with Jake um is like basically kind of written about being on the waltzes and neath fair that kind of <laughs> feeling where you're like going to puke because you've eaten too much like um candy floss um and you've drunk too much sugary liquid um and th- there's other ones which are a bit more like you know 80s nostalgia kind of pop sounds um there's like a kind of really intense dance song on there um there are some lighter moments and there's like the the last track is like a really um oh sentimental orchestrated acoustic song about losing a friend so oh, like, wow. it kind of goes on like a real real journey yeah <laughs> so we yeah. just because i mean it sounds like it's a celebration of all things lgbtq maybe yes. in response to the horrors of, <laughs> of the trump administration perhaps um but, also, response, yeah. but would you say it's it's also a protest record in some description i mean I suppose no, no? No, I, w- I wouldn't say it's a protest record. I It's more of a celebration record. It's mm. it's a celebration with an eyes open in terms of like drawing attention to different things from LGBTQ plus history, um, but also trying not to focus on the negative. So whilst it like the last song about loss is also kind of about like everyone we've lost to AIDS over the decades and the lack of support that people had and just the fact that like constantly it's called saying goodbye is exhausting and just the fact that you constantly in lgbtq culture have to say goodbye to like so many people from all different ages Mm. um you know Mm. i've lost friends this year um and you know there's absolutely no reason why that had to happen trans women are killed at an alarming rate much more so than any black trans women much more so than anybody else um and it's just like it's a fact of life when you're queer. I think that you just have a shorter life expectancy than white straight men. Mm. Um, but but it's not like I've I've been very careful not to make the record a pointing a finger record because I don't think that's remotely helpful to anybody's cause. Like my frustration at the moment is that with this political divide, 
it's two people screaming at each other over a chasm, which is never ever going to help either party. Yeah. Because neither party are perfect. And there's some middle ground where certain ideologies from both can exist and a newer uh, conscience can sit, which has listened to both sides and understood why both sides are so angry. So my intention with this record is not to tell people that they're incorrect for actions they've taken or ways that they've voted, um, but to just make it very clear what the consequences of some of those actions have been and what you've missed and not understood about the people you've persecuted from not listening to them and not paying attention to their culture and their lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I mean, I think you can get that from the the video for the first record as well. Just the fact that it's, um, you know, it's, it's in, sort of on the club scene in New York, but you've got so many colorful characters, drag queens and performers and everybody mm-hmm. just, and it's, it's joyous and it, it's celebratory. And I think, that's that comes off i think sometimes i don't know less because i guess as you're saying you don't want to be preachy i don't respond to, to being preached at either and i'm a liberal no. so i mean how can you expect anybody who's remotely prejudiced against somebody to respond to being shouted at you know it's not helpful to anyone it doesn't it's no more intelligent than them shouting at us um so i've just tried to be as kind to like the people in my community as possible and showing their best sides and showing like the best things about, you know, LGBTQ culture. Like there's songs about sex and songs about dancing and songs about togetherness and songs about support and songs about losing your best friend um, and songs about the loneliness that happens because of prejudice within queer culture. Hmm. Um, You know, there's absolutely nothing saying that queer people care about each other more. They don't like they have to, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're lumped together. And so there's a communal experience versus the, you know, quote unquote, straight white people that don't have the same in, innate struggle that we do. Um, but I've forgotten my point. <laughs> well, no, I wanted to ask you. So the album is called fun city um, yes. and it's coming out in September. Yeah. Uh, where did the title obviously i mean is referring to new york i would imagine the title comes from the mayor uh mayor john Lin- john v lindsay in 1966 who took over new york city and on his first day in office the subway had a massive strike the city was on its knees there was like a power outage everything like went <laughs> horrifically wrong and God. one of his like political adversaries was oh, like man. oh so are you still happy to be the mayor of new york city and he's like i still think it's a fun city um, so I took that phrase fun city as a kind of like template, like the idea of, um, like, you know, a false sense of optimism in a very broken place, but also how queer mm-hmm. people have had to exist in broken utopias for the entirety of history. And while, they're faced with like enormous struggles every single day from like left, right and center. Um, It's about how in the face of that, you still make joy, fun, love, community, sex, passion, creativity, success, um, family, how you make all of these things happen despite um, the reality being not amazing. Not great. Yeah. 
Um, I also want to ask quickly before we move on to another topic, um, the artwork for the singles. Who's been doing that? Because it looks incredible. You were in yeah, short shorts and a vest called, in most of them. It's a guy called Falalio <laughs> yeah. who lives in Melbourne. He's an amazing, um, he's an amazing illustrator. He, I think he's from Chile, I believe. I think I've got that right. Uh, and lives in Melbourne now. And I found his work on Instagram. So I messaged mm. him. I was like, I think you're incredible. Could you, would you be up to doing this project? <laughs> It and, looks so um, good. It's so it good. Was. Yeah, I'm really thrilled. Yeah, it I'm should really, be. It's great. I'm really, like, on a personal level, I'm really happy to be um, employing an immigrant. Um, I'm obviously a Welsh man living in New York, so my status as a non-resident non, uh, is really important to me. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been kind of warned about using the word immigrant because I know it's very loaded, but the reality is, like, people don't look at me like I'm an immigrant because I'm white. So of course. I kind of slip under that radar, but it's really important to me to have my identity as like a gay man that is not from the soil, um, feeling like I have a home somewhere, mm. you know? Um, so it was really important to me that everybody involved in the record either like is from the LGBTQ plus world or has moved away from somewhere that is traditionally their home and built a home somewhere else. Um, and everybody on the record is is under that like dual umbrella. Amazing. And do they all? So I guess they all just sort of pour in their experience in some little way to the overall yeah. picture of the album. Yeah, they do. They. I kind of wanted to make it that varied, just to show the tapestry of of life, really. You know, within our community, like all the different people that make up that kind of spectrum, like. In the video, for example, you know, there's like mentors, there's um, creatives, there's bartenders, dancers, <laughs> uh, people that work as like my neighbors that live over there, they're in the video and they work as like live producers for Liza Minnelli shows and somebody else runs a charity for LGBTQ youth. And, you know, it's like all of these people do things with varying public visibility, but they're all so important to the reality of our everyday in our community they're all providing something Mm -hmm. that we encounter whether we know it or not yeah and i love the fact that you bring them all together and you present them in a way that is is joyous and fun and upbeat because like doing a music video doing the sort of music that you do you know you have the messages there but like the video is super fun the song is super fun and you can see that everybody's having a great time and as you say they're not they're not necessarily people that that their day-to-day jobs will lead them to that place so it's quite nice Mm -hmm. it's quite nice to celebrate all of that and i think it's great that that you're representing um in that way it's fantastic um steve i know we wanted to ask as well about um if if someone uh, were to be visiting New York, and I know not anytime soon, but if they are, when all this nightmare is over, when mm. and where would you recommend to visit? Because I know I was in New York in March, and I did I did get to go to Club Cummings, and was slightly overwhelmed that I was that close to Jiggly Caliente while she was hosting a drag race night. I was like, "This where's <laughs> where's the security? Why is she not? Why is there not yeah. a bed?" Um, Club Cummings was incredible. Uh, I, I loved it. Um, where would you say for somebody who wants to experience, because obviously you've got Christopher Street famously, but you've been in New York now, as you say, seven years. So you must know some some sort of off the beaten track places for people to go. There's The thing is, there's a ton of places, you know, depending on what you want. Like there's things like Club Coming has a really diverse um, programming thing every night. It's very different. Like Monday, it's like show tunes around the piano. Tuesday, I think it's jazz. Wednesday, I think it's comedy. Saturday is my party. Saturday night is a different dance party. So 
a, a lot of, like we were saying earlier, touching upon different things happening in the same space, it's actually better to look at what's going on night by night versus venue by venue. But I would recommend mm-hmm. coming to like anybody. It's just, it's a very welcoming space and it's tiny. So you feel immediately like part of the action. My favorite bar in New York, gay bar is Julius on in the West Village. It's like the, one of the oldest gay bars in New York. Oh, I loved it there. Decades and decades and decades. It's super, it's really low key. You know, it's not like a big dance bar, but it's like super fun, huge age range of people in there. Great jukebox. There's a really friendly doorman as well. We went in there. Yes. Uh, we went in there on a Saturday afternoon for a beer and uh, just incredible friendly doorman was just telling us all the history of, of the bar and just telling us where to go, what to do. Just so, so lovely. And um, obviously it was made famous recently or made more famous recently because it was in Can You Ever Forgive Me? I know that mm-hmm. a few people that were with us, they were like, oh, this is where that movie was filmed. But yeah, it's... um. It's great. And actually, the first time I'd gone to New York was about 10 years ago. I never got to Stonewall or to, to Julius's mm-hmm. Bar. So I made sure I did the whole the whole strip this time. And it was um, it was great. And everybody was so welcoming and so friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my husband went in September last year. And it was, yeah, it was one of the best, like, the best cities. And we had such a good time and going around all the different. So we did Club Cummings mm-hmm. as well. But um, I guess we did also did the cheesy places. I think we went to uh, went to Flaming oh, Saddles. Once, just because what's what's more than that? Seeing tight muscle jocks wearing very tight, tight, very yeah. tight jeans, uh, dancing to Tom Jones on the bar. That was the most fascinating thing. Was the bit the song they danced to the most was Tom Jones, yeah. and I was like, "This is a crazy situation." There wasn't there wasn't any naked bar. bar dancers or half naked bar dancers when we were there because literally it was the day before Cuomo shut down New York <laughs> when we were there. Ah. So we went. We were in Hell's Kitchen. We went to Flaming Saddles, and we were like where's the show? And there was like the barman and two other people in the place. And they were like, not tonight. It's not going to happen. So again, when this, no, when this is lifted, I'll go back. (laughs) I need the full experience. (laughs) Cool. Uh, So I thought like we'll change up a bit. We'll maybe move on over to our pop quiz part of the the podcast. Uh, So what's your uh, favorite LGBTQ night in London when you pop over and visit us? I'm very out of date with nights in London um i couldn't name you a night i mean i haven't i haven't had time to go out in london for a very long time so i couldn't tell you a night but i really love the glory um and every time that i've been to the glory it's been fun and retro bar those are my two favorite places um love retro bar Bar it doesn't get enough love i know (laughs) they're, they're both fantastic and um i have no idea what their programming is at the moment but i love those two places so much and i really i just i miss those two places a lot well actually the glory are doing glory tv tonight oh. actually we're recording this just on the wednesday but it's going to go out a bit later but yeah they're launching it johnny Wu and a few of the performers have got together and they've they've done a script and it's all going to go out and i think depending on how this goes tonight this could be a regular weekly weekly show which would be amazing brilliant who is your favorite um who do you say your favorite um lgbtq unsung hero is on the scene in which location do you mean worldwide or do you mean <laughs> worldwide or wh- wh- whatever your choice would be it could be the deepest darkest depths of wales whatever wherever place you would recommend i'm gonna say for london nadine who used to be the quiz lady at retro bar every tuesday evening i she's oh my god she's so funny i could literally go blind like <laughs> so funny. i love her so much like me and my friends used to go there every week and do the the pub quiz and um her and leslie the owner were just this amazing double act but you know nadine would talk about 
things that went on in the job center where she was working. She was just so goddamn funny. I think <laughs> she's one of the most, she made my life so happy for that couple of years where we would go there every week, me and my two friends. Oh my God, I can't cope with how, how amazing she is. She deserves like the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, in New York, I am going to say uh, Sam Benedict, who is the manager at Club Coming. He's not the he's not one of the owners. They're all amazing as well. But Sam manages mm-hmm. to ride this like crazy wave of all the madness that goes on there and all of the you know ups and downs and all the programming. He's raised tons of money for charity. He's an incredible cocktail maker. He's an incredible barman. He's a lovely person. And you never, ever see him in a bad mood doing any of this. And I really think that he is a superstar. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a rarity for someone who's who's running a bar. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Good on <laughs> Sam. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite moment from a live show that you can tell us about? My favorite moment for a live show. Oh my God, this is so amazing. So we went to see Mariah Carey last year in New York and just like at one random point, the girl next to me screamed, I love you, Mariah, wah! And just screamed and I recorded it on my phone. Um, <laughs> and like, I, I just have it on a loop. It's just the most, she sounds like she's been taken to the rapture. Like it's wild. <laughs> and like- She was standing hard was, for Mariah. Everybody was laughing for like, probably the next hour it was just amazing that's that's my favorite moment of the show ever amazing that you had your phone there ready to capture that that was that was I fortuitous. It. I yeah actually no i lie my friend kelly um was instagram storying and it was on that that she i opened her instagram story and recorded <laughs> with my phone scream have you are you gonna put it in a song is are you gonna work that in in some way i'd really tried to sample it and i couldn't because it says mariah i couldn't work out how how to do it yeah to to work that into like a lyric but i did (laughs) i want to sample her i I tried it's in a song but the song didn't work (laughs) amazing she sounds like the american version of the um of the chanel woman in the uk at the moment the woman who's shouting Chanel oh, no, because she's trying to find her power. Yeah, I'm sorry, but like that, what is that about? I mean, she's getting, she's on this morning. They're talking like she's on so many things. Crazy. She's not a celebrity. Anyway, it's a whole different topic. No, it drives me parrot. mad. Don't keep birds in cages for Christ's sake. Let them free. There you go. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> What's your favorite song to play for um, in one of your events? Um, I really like playing In Your Care. Um, it's a song for my second album about... Uh, moving to New York and how, you know, bittersweet that is, like leaving family behind. I really love playing that song. Um, I love playing uh, a song called Little Bit from the last album as well, because I play saxophone a lot in that and I sing really, really loud and it's really dramatic. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, What's your favourite movie soundtrack? (sighs) Score. The movie is a film called Blowout, which stars John Travolta and Nancy Allen. Brian De Palma. Palma. Yeah. That is my favorite movie score. My favorite movie soundtrack, I think, might be Mannequin. 
uh, with Starship, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, Alicia, Deidre and About Me, Belinda Carlisle, Emma Wilder's Dreams. Can I tell you something, right, about Mannequin as you brought it up? Uh, Kim Cattrall. So when we were in New York recently, we obviously the guys that I was with were like, oh, we need to go and see Sex and the City, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, yeah, okay. And it popped into my head the video that you shared on Facebook years and years ago of Kim Cattrall being interviewed and then suddenly breaking out into scat poetry with her husband playing the bass and i said to my friends honestly you've got to see this video and none of them believed me and then they sat down and watched it and all of them had the same reaction i did the first time i saw it which is like jaw on the floor what it's is the, this it's the best um it's the best piece of recorded performance <laughs> in the history of performance it's so bonkers and it's she takes it so it's amazing but she's taking it so seriously and you're like what <laughs> steve i don't know if you've ever it's seen amazing. it i, I, I highly I recommend you youtube it. i've never seen it i need to it's find incredible video. rod introduced it. it to me yeah immediately <laughs> it's mad and last but not least what's your favorite film which i know is quite hard for you it i mean it it has like a rotating carousel of like a top five i suppose um but i rewatched the fifth element two days ago and there is there's nothing there is nothing wrong with that film it's it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Um, but then so is Death Becomes Her. And so is Adam's Family Values. They're absolutely perfect. Not Romy um, and Michelle's? Romy and Michelle's perfect as well. But I feel like everyone expects me to say that. <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not my favourite over Adam's Family Values or um, Death Becomes Her. No. Has anyone ever seen the uncut version of, or the director's cut of Death Becomes Her? There is one apparently floating around that they've never released. Because you know, actually, yes, I saw, I I um <clears throat> bought one off the internet to screen with some friends today, <laughs> and there were definitely one or two scenes that I don't remember. Yeah, because Tracy Ullman is in the film, but was never oh. in the theatrical version. So oh. there is a cut floating around somewhere with Tracy Ullman and I just, I'm being a massive fan of hers and obviously Meryl Streep and Death Becomes Her. I want to see that version. I don't understand why they haven't released it. Maybe one day, who knows? It's, um, it's an unsung classic, not amongst oh, the gays, but amazing song. Yeah. Amazing song. Uh, a film. Oh my God. It's an amazing, <laughs> amazing book. My well, brain. amazing song, amazing song at the beginning as well. Look, you know, oh, sweet I know. Radio. I say that at my Romy parties all the time. It's <laughs> so good. I love it. I really so love good. It so, so um, in this time of, COVID-19 and the craziness that, that's going on. Um, what do you think us as a community can do more to support people during this crazy time? Fucking stay home. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ, like that's it, isn't it? Could we be tipping people more? Is that, I think it was, it was just open like that really, but yeah, stay home is the best, probably the best option. Well, here's the thing. I mean, tipping is amazing. And if people are able to do that and the generosity no. is like super appreciated, it's really amazing, mm. but it's not sustainable, you know, the, the world shouldn't be set up for, for people who don't earn much to give everything they have to support other people not earning much. There are so many businesses out there that could be helping other people, but they just don't care to do that. Um, I think the, the most important thing you can do right now is to make people aware of important work that is being done by people who really need the support and the visibility. You know, like money comes and goes and... I've lost thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds worth of income over the next couple of months. Um, but 
it would help me more if people shared the work that I do Hmm. versus giving Mm -hmm. money that they can't afford to give me. Because when this is over, I want them to be able to come to a show um, and I want to be able to do a show. So in terms of like comedians, musicians, performers, artists, whatever, if if there's a link, share their work with your friends and like let people know what people are doing and what they're up to. If it's a charity, tell people what the charities are doing and who they're supporting. And, you know, they might have initiatives in place to help people mm-hmm. who have lost money or have lost work. Um, share fundraisers if there are some happening. You know, if you do have money to spare, which is amazing, look at your local venues that you enjoy going to. And if they have a fundraiser, put the price of one drink each week into that, you know, that you would normally be spending. Unless, of course, you've lost that Mm -hmm. money, then please don't do that. Um, But just like, you know, just be be sensible about everything at the moment. Like you, you can't give money to everybody. You really can't do that. Like, and nobody expects you to do that. you also can't change the world single-handedly. So just like think about how you exist in relation to the rest of your community and try and be as responsible. Great advice, I'd say. I mean, I suppose like, let's fucking stay home. I mean, the thing is you can support, if you like an artist that you go and see on the scene, by all means support them financially by donating, by giving tips if they're performing online. There's nothing nothing wrong with that. But do you you think that it's um, better to get behind supporting a venue for example, because obviously, you know, over here, there are sort of live venues where, you know, you were saying you want to get back out and perform and this is all over. But unless the venues are there and the spaces are there. I know. Yeah, that's the difficulty. I really do worry about a lot of venues. Like I was saying about all those mm. gay bars that shut mm. on Hackney Road, you know, I really don't want to see that happen to all of these live venues or queer spaces simply because they've been paying rent and they haven't had any income. So it is important and also important in that um, lots of the staff will be eligible for um, unemployment benefits and lots of them won't. But lots of these venues have their own fundraisers for their staff. So versus like... Yeah, Dalston Superstore just did one actually, which went really well. And and Club Coming has one too. So like they know, they, they're trying their best to help their mm. staff and the venue stay employed and open. So instead of trying to puzzle the best way to do stuff, I would say look to you, look to the venues and they more than likely will have some indication of what the best way you can help is if you want to be able to help. Um, I was also going to say, is there any, as we're all sort of staying in and watching all of these, all of these great shows, are there any ones that you'd recommend that you've seen that people should tune into? Well, LGBT shows mainly, yeah. Or shows? LGBT live streams and live streams and stuff. Uh yeah oh god there's so many of them um most of the venues that i go to have some kind of live streaming at the moment like club coming do do live mm. streams every weekend i'm not sure how useful that is for you with your time zone from from here but like you said the glory started up their tv project which is really cool and i'll try and tune into that um there's so many oh god i don't yeah i don't know there are so many there really are so many um so many live streams but again look to the the website of the venue that you're interested in and if they're doing a live stream i'm pretty sure that they'll have information about that posted on their on their website if they don't some of these well steve is list listing them all as well on hey queer london you know so if you're looking for a uk show i know i'm I'm going international now i've been pushing i've been pushing international shows so i've been pushing 
been pushing Roger as well and making sure that it's the community as a whole is, is coming together, whether you're in the UK, US or whatever. I think that's that's for me seems to be one of the most important things is just making sure that you can share the love everywhere and and also as you said explore some stuff that you've never seen before um so if you can't come to new york check out your show online if you can't go to the glory watch the shows there if you can't go to like the drag king nights that have been happening recently like there's so many there's so many good live streams as you said there's there's so much happening lots of museums and galleries and things have been doing um live events that, you know, like uh, live streams of exhibitions and different things like that. Like there was a Broadway thing the other day, like a Sondheim celebration. And there's like, um, I think like I saw the NFT or like the National Theatre or something are doing some live events. So like a lot of these places are opening up catalog and access to stuff in in this time, which is at least one small upshot. So, you know, if you're curious, get Google's your friend. And so is Steve. <laughs> and so is Steve. And hey, Quill London. So check us out. Um, <laughs> cool. I was going to say, so thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Rod. It's been really, really amazing to have you have you here. Um, where can people find you on the socials? You can find me any social media. The handle is at BrightLightX2. Uh, so that's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Um, oh, my God. What else is there? SoundCloud, TikTok um tesco god knows um twitch as well (laughs) so every saturday i'm doing these live streams which is at 8 p.m uk time uh it's my romy michelle virtual party where you can request songs in the comment section so twitch.tv forward slash friday x2 i do uh also broadcast it via facebook but as we have multiple times (laughs) multiple times said facebook is exhausting so let's do twitch um (laughs) It's also on Instagram Live as well, which is mildly less exhausting than Facebook because it doesn't cut out as frequently. Just to say quickly, the new single Sensation with Jake Shears is out on Friday. Yes. Uh, so please stream that and get, get me 0.01 pence. So I also saw, Rod, you've, got the, you've just started the Rodcast as well. I have, yes. So that's like a little uh, lower key uh, streaming party every Sunday. I'm taking a quote from LGBTQ plus culture or niche interest and basing a two hour radio show uh, around that. Uh, so last week it was Behind Every Great Man, which is obviously a Eurythmics and, Anilana, uh, Eurythmics and Aretha Franklin quote from Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves mm-hmm. uh, and did a two hour show about the women that have uh, influenced me uh, in my music making. Um, and I haven't mm-hmm. announced the next theme yet. So time will tell we'll keep an eye on your socials to find out what it is it sounds cool cool so that's all from us uh you can follow hey queer london um on instagram on twitter at hey queer ldn to discover london's queer scene uh you can also follow us on the tea and cake pod on twitter and instagram get in touch and uh, tell us what you think um you can find us on most podcast platforms so please give us a review so from all of us i just want to say goodbye and we'll see you soon bye (laughs) see ya (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Hey Quill London podcast, Tea and Cake. Thank you to Kelly Lee for letting us use her track, Can't Dance, as our intro music. The show was presented by Hey Quill London founder, Steve Whiting, and the phenomenal Matt Williams. The show is produced by Mischievosity. 